Men on a mission, I'm the Mac Daddy O. Oscar and Soul, here we go, here we go. I did an interview with BBG, and BBG got the facts, that's the place to be. The host Pablo, he was on. He can interview you to the break of dawn. So if you want a show that is key, listen to the cats at BBG. And welcome to another episode of Turnchuckle. It is a new era on BBG Wrestling. This is Monday Night Turnchuckle. We'll probably have a better name for it than that. It just happens to be on a Monday night and it is still called Turnchuckle until we come up with a more fun pun, basically. Um, but I stand by if you type in Turnchuckle on Google, the two things you'll get are Did you not mean Turnbuckle? And then when you <laughs> click and when you click on that, it'll take you to us, which is good. So we should really copyright it before Hawkins and Ryder steal it. <laughs> we should <laughs> always fast forward Matt Cardona <laughs> so um, with, with me today um, we talked about this yesterday I said that you were the Lee Marshall to my Bobby Heenan but um, <laughs> um, it's no, so we'll a special st- comment <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, st- we'll stick with that I think that's fine the <laughs> Lee Marshall to my Bobby Heenan in the sense that his jokes are all dad jokes that are rambling and make no sense oh i don't mean it it's alex tempest hello hello thank you for having me well yeah i mean you are i want to thank you for being had um you are (laughs) you are the co-host you're not a guest you are a weekly fixture now um we are going to be what we're going to be are we going to be like the the bedeal and skinner of podcasting (laughs) in the in the 2000s uh, the 2020s, fuck me. Like, <laughs> I like the way your modern day way of turning a dated reference was also dated. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 1990 was 10 years ago. I don't care what anyone says. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, uh, Lee Marshall, the king of uh, just shoehorning the word weasel into any insult ever. I remember uh, my uh, the the co-host I have for the country show that I do. Um, he was a WCW fan, but he he his introduction to wrestling was WCW, and he'd not watched any of the old WWF stuff with you know the kind of Heenan is a weasel in the weasel suit matches and that. So he just had, didn't understand why every week it would be like, well, I've heard of murder most foul, but murder most weasel. And he was always just like, <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? He's just like he's like, he used to say a joke that wasn't really a joke that just had the word weasel in it every week because like, yeah <laughs> better explain that really <laughs> and, and the, the thing is as well though because bobby heenan obviously didn't like being called weasel but lee marshall's uh jokes were so terrible that it didn't even bother bobby heenan <laughs> like, no, no, he was usually more bothered at the offense to comedy that like bobby heenan's <laughs> lost title matches for his clients by having the crowd chant weasel at him but now this is just, you know, it's just become white noise thanks to Lee Marshall ruining it. Yeah, no, he's like, but did they call 0800 Weasel? Like, <laughs> no, shut up, shut up, Lee, please. That's Re- not, that's not great. Uh, I think there's a, he deserves some credit, does old Lee Marshall, for his brief stint in doing colour commentary, though. <laughs> 
or Tony Schiavone had said they were like, so we're going to do things a bit different with the format for commentary on Thunder to give it a different feel. It's like, Lee, what do you want to do? He's like, colour. It's like, oh, are you sure? Like, are you really sure? But, but then again, I'm not sure what play-by-play he would be able to do either. He would have probably been in the dusty position. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Thunder was not the... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't exactly the most exciting person to do comedy. He's so laid back and so radio presenter esque, <laughs> or like school great. DJ. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was also the voice of Tony the Tiger, and um, he was also um, we may have talked about this before. He was the um, he was a ring announcer in the Chicago portion of WrestleMania two. It's pretty fun, isn't it? Mm-hmm. See, because I think he was like a Chicago sports broadcaster or something like that. He was a sportscaster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he was like even referenced on the event. Like, the, I mean, I'm sure they mentioned his name, but they didn't make a big deal of the fact that he was... Because I don't think anyone, out, I'm assuming, outside of Chicago probably knew who Lee Marshall was at that point. Um Imagine you know, if they did it in modern day now, though. They would bring him out dressed as Tony the fucking Tiger. <laughs> I wouldn't like be, be the, host, the host of WrestleMania. <laughs> I wouldn't be against it. I would you be, would get I've... a Frosty's reception. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, so as you can tell, there's no uh, particular format for what these shows are going to be. But we did decide, uh, because we've just passed the 20th anniversary of it, which makes me feel really old. Um, 26th of March, 2001. A day that'll go down in history. Uh, the official, because it was referenced on TV, I mean, the buyout happened before that, but the uh, the simulcast with Raw and Night Row, Vince buys WCW, uh, and then Shane comes out, and it looks like it had a promising future. <laughs> I have no idea they were about to kill wrestling, would you? <laughs> it mm-hmm. seems like it's going to be a really hot angle, and it really couldn't be less. <laughs> so we're gonna look at the the raw night row because the the thing is um you know as I love I do love WCW there are patches of it that I I can't say that I watch but like sort of and I'll probably get a slagging for this but eighty nine ninety because those the videos that show, came out in the UK I like Jim Hurd era WCW don't get me wrong the ding dongs weren't on any of those videos uh, the, the Black Scorpion was though to be fair um and the sort of that. 96 97 early 98 period of night golden time Mm -hmm. uh, from which i'll 96 to halfway into 98 it's just perfect wrestling yeah we both agree we could just like wrap ourselves in the blanket of wrestling it would be (laughs) (laughs) it would be that time period it would be that time period and i mean even by 2001 there was a lot that i was enjoying in wwf but i was I don't think I was becoming a lapsed fan, but I was certainly... It, it, I didn't kick off if I missed Raw. <laughs> I know what you mean. I was kind of like that with Nitro at the time. And mm. I wasn't... like Because it was such a clot on to try and watch a pay-per-view here where you had to get it on that German channel and tape That's it true. and all that. It just didn't seem worth the hassle. And with Raw, I became fairly lapsed during 2000 because I was always a, like a casual WWF fan. I, I, I don't really think that that whole war type thing really existed in the uk much and certainly i didn't notice anybody talking about it much until after wcw actually closed like with people at school and what have you but i'd got fairly lapsed on raw during 2000 because it it just got a bit silly like not fun silly but it was just a kind of that it was very attitude era if i put it that way just i'm not that into that much talking and segments and that as you know it, one thing that sort of, I mean, as we'll we'll see on this Raw is, I mean, it's the go home show for WrestleMania, which I mean is that's 
crazy as it is because you've got to fill in every single i mean they 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 try to do this um which was to the detriment of the raw that they tried to cover every single angle in some way during that raw but it led to 52 second matches etc breakneck speed wasn't it like you mentioned the 52 seconds like there's only one match in the first hour (laughs) watching that again that reminded me exactly why i it's got a lapsed kind of status with WWE by then because it's like the way South Park depict wrestling, you know, it's the, the like theater where everybody's got microphones and then they actually start wrestling in the crowd. They're like, <laughs> hey, this is boring. What are these guys doing? It's true. And, and the thing is, I mean, breakneck speed in a sense, but in the sense that they felt that they had to just rush through everything. Whereas, you know, say what you will about Russo-era WWF, it was breakneck speed, but there were continuing storylines. This was just, let's remind literally everyone that WrestleMania is coming all the time. And I understand it, but... On the it, fucking XFL. There's about mm-hmm. three plugs for the XFL in that show as well. <laughs> like, oh, man. Even Paulie Dangerously, he's got the bloody hat on, doesn't he? Yeah, nothing says extreme. Like, uh, that's what the X and XFL... Well, it is, isn't it? Like <laughs> Extremely fucking lame. <laughs> Did you ever see the SmackDown a couple of months later, I think, where Heyman is basically on screen begging people to give XFL a chance? (laughs) No, I haven't. I'll have to look up that. Oh, I was like, oh, Paul, like you definitely owe a lot of people a lot of money, don't you? (laughs) You you can simplify wrestling the way Vince did and make a lot of money and have a lot of success, but it just doesn't work with like a legitimate, not predetermined sport. You know, yeah. I mean? like as soon as you start simplifying <laughs> the NFL, like, here, do you want to watch the NFL except Dome? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I remember about a month before when they launched the XFL, they did an episode called SmackDown Extreme or Extreme SmackDown. And I was like, oh, this this could be good. And all they did was going to put... be like a brutal hardcore SmackDown. Mm-hmm. No, nope. <laughs> all all they did was put, literally all they did was put an X, a red X over the SmackDown sign. Oh man. There were no more table bumps than usual because everyone was going through tables. I've got to say as well, that is one thing about 2001 WWF is that we had seen everything by that point. Like, don't get me wrong, the roster was probably as good as it could ever be because it was, there was... The other um, part of WCW was there by yeah. then. All the stuff yeah. from that era that I loved, all the great workers, you know, your Chris Benoit's and Eddie Guerrero's, Dean Malenko's, Perry Satin's, like... Chris Jericho's that all turned up so like yeah. that, that was what kind of brought me over in 2000 when Vince Russo was just degenerating Nitro into absolute <laughs> lunacy that was why I started watching Raw more often because it was stupid but at least it made sense Are you referenced- and, uh, sorry, sorry no no go but you referenced how Russo era Raws which I'm also not really a fan of they did have a kind of sense of cohesion where the story ran on week to week they just don't on Nitro like I've, I've I've been able to watch those 2000 Nitros in a kind of what the hell am I even looking at way now because the story will change several times in one episode and then be forgotten by the next one. And it's like, <laughs> you, you, can, you can you can go and like get a beer out the fridge and come back and you have no idea what's going on because the plot's completely changed. It's very hard <laughs> on the brain. <laughs> Especially your brain as a teenager, I'm guessing. Like... Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, that was the thing about when storylines would just get dropped or whatever in WWF those storylines would be seen through to the bitter end no matter what <laughs> for better or worse oh like Terry losing a baby and all that kind of stuff I mean they continued it and then D'Lo became Terry's man slave as an apology and then you found out that 
you know, it was all a lie because they had to get the way out of it. Like, Specifically, I saw none of that, but Russo uh, lost baby storyline, didn't he? He definitely did. And the, the, but the thing is, as well, like sort of like how you mentioned with WCW, if you go out and you know go for a piss and you come back and you've like they've just scrapped a storyline, now you're wondering why something else is happening. <laughs> with with WWF, things were so, especially on the undercard storylines, things were so minutely told, and 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 people may laugh at this now, but they were told with such detail that but if you miss that 30 second bit you've missed a whole load of what the story is because there's penis shrinkage yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah everyone remembers choppy choppy the pp no one remembers that it didn't get chopped off because it just shrank in the cold (laughs) must have been like an absolute blast of cold for his cock to just vanish inside like a hermit crab yeah just a very bad aim from Kai and Hai, just um, it, it, he's actually got like a dancing penis that could like move back and forth, and it was like right, right, and it uh, you managed to survive. That's probably the full extent of the gimmick you would have got if Russo had pitched it at WCW. Where it just goes insane. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, I don't blame Russo for any of this. I blame whoever okayed Russo's ideas. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Russo being in charge was whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Russo was just seeing how far he could push it. He was just like, and then ninjas happen. They're like, yeah, go on, why not? And and you, then you, a camel. <laughs> You've best described Russo to me as it's like it's like being told a story by a four-year-old. <laughs> it's like, and then there were ninjas and camels, and we're on top of a truck, but the truck's on fire, and it was actually in a jungle. <laughs> just like, what the what the hell is going on here? That is like Russo booking to a T. It's like, and Sting is fighting a demon, but the demon was in Kiss, and also they're in a swamp. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> and then he was Brian Adams, and then he wasn't. After the first week, because he just, you know, and then right. we'll forget it, and then it's fine. Madness, madness. <laughs> but the thing is, as well, I think a lot of people, and we'll, we'll start with Raw, and then we'll get into the Night Row, but a lot of people just assume that Russo was probably writing and booking the last Night Row. You know what I mean? Like, not everyone's a full-on hardcore fan, and that is WWF um, story, like, um, manipulation of the past and all that kind of thing. Um, but It's funny you bring that up, like... My negativity towards WWE about WCW didn't really come until afterwards. Like, you can do your kind of pettiness while both companies were being petty, but the 20 years of rewriting history and (laughs) revisionism afterwards just made me despise WWE in the end. I'm like, stop rewriting me, childhood. That's not what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, well, one, the first thing we'll get into, because it covers a lot of both shows, is the Vince segments. Um, and there's no point in going through each one of them individually, because there's WCW. Well, I didn't realize, because I didn't watch the Night Row until years later, that the Vince stuff on Night Row was exclusive to Night Row. I just assumed that that was all simulcast, not just the the buyout part, which we will get into. Um, I that as well, you know, because I hadn't seen the Raw, conversely, and I thought exactly the same thing. Well, on documentaries and everything, the, the, the thing of the fate of WCW is in my hands. That was only on Night Row. That wasn't on Raw at all. Um, and That's that why is, Rick cuts that wonderful promo off it. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll massively get into that. So, like, the Vince and Trish thing. What I want to ask you, I mean, God, watch. It wasn't just Vince and Trish backstage. It was Vince... Well, no, he was was heavily rubbishing what he had just bought. 
all throughout the show and insulting their audience. And it's like, this is still an audience that you could take with you who are hardcore WCW fans. But then you've got Regal saying, oh, I worked there, it was terrible. And it's like, it may have been for him and a lot of other people, but you still have a couple of million people watching that night row. Um, Tony Tony gets a good shot in on him on the commentary, that Regal bit. Because when he says it was terrible, that was on the night row rather than the row. And Tony yeah. goes, well, I spent years putting your ass over or something like that. <laughs> Just as he says that, get in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a huge newfound respect for Tony. I always liked him, but like, and I never thought that, that that'll put butts in seats thing. I never took that as seriously as like many other people did in terms of not liking him. The, the thing that made me not like him was what Bobby Heenan thought about him. Because I'll always take Bobby Heenan's side, but then Tony apologized for him. He was like, yep, Bobby was right. I was a dick. Um, this is you know. the thing that they fell out about as well. It was a very difficult scenario that Shivani was in. I mean, if if anyone doesn't know the story, kind of Shivani knew before Heenan did that Heenan was going to be sacked, mm. and it was during a very tumultuous time. And he wishes he went and warned Heenan, but he was kind of on pain of death warned: do not tell anyone, do not speak to Bobby Heenan, don't ring him, and he didn't. And that was what they fell out with and what all the kind of bad blood came afterwards. And Shivani admits he was in the wrong. But also, that's a kind of difficult position to be in when you're in a company that's fallen apart as well. Middle management, isn't it? Like, yeah. Um, but, like downhill on that. Yeah, but um, and we'll certainly talk more WCW um, in, in future episodes. But, but let's, you know, Vince backstage parts aside and we'll get into the 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 um the buyout segment in a bit but uh taz val venus in the lumberjack match now the, because the thing is though you are watching a lot of this you've seen wrestlemania 17 and i know yeah, that i watched you, that at the time and i did yeah. enjoy that bar the ending bar the ending <laughs> and but the thing is like i feel that i am able to maybe put some of the things in context as to why they happened as you will with the wcw stuff to me um so taz val venus 52 second lumberjack match now that you know the it was uh, taz and the ap against right center so it was just one of those things that they had to just get in there but i mean 52 seconds it, they did everything they kind of needed to do <laughs> but it was just get your shit in. <laughs> Well, I mean, CM Punk says, because someone messaged him once and said, oh, I've got tickets, but it's uh, it's just to a house show. And Punk was like, no, they're the shows to go to. You don't want to go to a Raw because it's 52-second matches. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but everyone was so over. I mean, you look top to bottom here. They were either big stars still or they at least were big during the Attitude Era and they were repackaged or whatever. There's no schlubs on this show at all. Even like the right to censor, that, that's a lot of big talent that have been repackaged, I guess. That's one of the things I remember from back in 2000, actually quite enjoying from WWF. That about yeah. turn of people like Godfather and Val Venus and that. I, I don't know, I thought that was a pretty cool story and there were a lot of good talent. It, it put like, getting a new lease on life after that. You've got to think after that, there wasn't much further you could really go with characters like Godfather or Val Venus, really, were there? No. And, I mean, once they turned back, the attitude era had come and gone and they were seen as a bit passe by that point. Um, yeah. You know, they would get cheered now because everyone loves legends and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, once Valvinus, because Valvinus then turned back into Sean Morley at that point, like his, his birth name, and he was like a commissioner or something like that. And, it, it, you know, and yeah, I know he and, came to TNA a few times with Sean Morley, but, like, no one cared. No one cared. And then he actually went back to Valvinus and he was that character until, oh, God, like 2008? Like, he was there a while. Yeah. He really was there a while. 
But um, Taz and Venus, because that's the thing as well. We're not. There's no point in us really critiquing 52 second matches. You know what I mean? Like you know, it just. <laughs> I don't much believe in critiquing matches anyway, because no. like, who am I to say on something that's subjective? But I, 52 seconds. What the hell can you really do in that time? <laughs> well, well, you say that, but the next match was Regal defeating Crash in 28 seconds. <laughs> I you know what a clinic. <laughs> In, <laughs> by, D, by DQ as well. Now, I this is when Jericho comes out as Doink because they're building up the gimmick Battle Royal for Mania 17. I thought that was a lot of fun, that. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen that. Because so, at first the music started and I was like, what the fuck? I thought they were just showing like Doinks in the crowd. And it was just like, and our special guest, do, 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 do. and then a video of Doink in the crowd. I was like, oh, that's canny. But then it was, in fact, Jericho. You knew as it soon was... as he did that forearm, I was like, all oh, right. <laughs> well, it was it was a nice bit of crossover without having to just, because the, you know, a part of the gimmick Battle Royal as well was we didn't know everyone who was going to be in it. Um, was Doink and... announced already? Doink was announced already, and the Doink in that gimmick Battle Royal, oh, now. It wasn't was it Matt Bourne? No, it wasn't Matt Bourne. The, the only time Matt Bourne showed up, and I was so happy that he did, was for the 15th anniversary Raw in 2008. Um, and there's a picture There's a picture of him and Skinner. Did really the DVD of that? Um, I don't know. I think they probably Wait, did. The 10-year one. I, I remember I getting so much from CEX where there was like an anniversary one that was like 10 pence or something. So I saw, I saw <laughs> one of those things. There's a wonderful picture because Austin comes out and drinks with the legends at the end and uh, Matt Bourne and Skinner, you know, the, the fake, original fake doink. Uh, there's a picture of them in full... Skinner the fake doink? I didn't know that. At Mania 9. Yeah, Steve Kern. Because they look That's identical funny. pretty much. Um, They're both just hairy, redneck looking dudes. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Um, so there's a picture of them just like drinking the Miller Light, each like looking at the camera and toasting each other. And I was just like, ah, that's lovely. Like if I could get a picture signed <laughs> at the time, I would get that picture and hang it above my fireplace. I think <laughs> I was just about to say I could see that like a wedding photo. And all, <laughs> <on your> <laughs> well, something interesting about the because they show the graphic for the gimmick Battle Royal and um, they show Corporal Kirshner on it, who isn't there. Um, and uh, it, it turns out Corporal Kirshner, King Kong Bundy, Honky Tonk Man and Gilbert were all supposedly uh, meant to be in it and a part of the reason why Gilbert, who was there on the night according to him um, the reason why they didn't send him out last minute is because of the reaction Goldberg's name got this night and they were like oh we can actually do something with him eventually so we don't want I to love take the, this I love the look on Vince's face when he's shitting on everybody <laughs> and he's expecting no crowd reaction because they've not reacted to any of his speech and then they start chanting Goldberg like ha up yours <laughs> yeah, but, but out of all of those names except Goldberg who got the biggest pop Buff Bagwell <laughs> absolutely bizarre it's the only time Buff Bagwell gets a bigger pop than like Sting although interestingly didn't even mention Ric Flair which I thought was kind of odd when he's like hyping up different people like Booker T's a canny pop massive pop for Goldberg and yeah for some reason Buff Daddy himself <laughs> Marcus Alexander Bagwell the American male <laughs> <laughs> which is why I'm guessing maybe why they, they launched their attempt at WCW with Bagwell against Booker T, but where did they do it? It was it was in somewhere like Seattle because they were oh. going to be in Atlanta the week after and then the crowd <laughs> don't react to it and they're like, yeah, well, WCW shit, that's that. Seattle has spoken. I don't think it's Seattle, but it's definitely somewhere like... Good night, very, Seattle. Very yeah. northern. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you and goodbye. WCW yeah. is dead. <laughs> that weird logo that they brought as well that wasn't ever a WCW logo. Uh, yeah. 
I was going to get you one of those t-shirts for Christmas, but I think oh, you might hate punch me for it. <laughs> Well, do you remember when Foley came out on the ECW One Night Stand and he was talking about, you know, the greatest ECW owner of all time? And he was like, God bless Stephanie McMahon <laughs> in the crowd. Because he's a heel at the time as well. And he's chanting, long live the Alliance. And the crowd are ready to storm the ring. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have enjoyed that either. Like. <laughs> oh, amazing. So, yeah, so... Um, in between several segments, because like I say, we're not going to go through every, you know, this is largely like what we thought about it. And hopefully you are listening because you want to know what we think in, you know, um, you can read Wikipedia if you just want to read the list. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's my thinking. Um, in every, any wrestling website you go on now will tell you wrestlers' favorite numbers between 1 and 10, top 10. So, like, I'm sure you can get it in a list format somewhere. <laughs> well, um, ben, what, oh, well, that's the thing as well. One of the, uh, uh, one of the early uh, segments was, uh, you know, the two greatest wrestlers on in the roster didn't have a match. And whether that was planned that way or not. That's um, that, that part was, uh, oh, sorry, go on. But, yeah, that shocked me. I was like, "What? You're booking your match, the like the Raw before WrestleMania." Well, I do, I do remember because Angle lost the belt like a month before at No Way Out, and I think Jer- Benoit was just coming out with the Jericho storyline. And but I mean, a lot of these matches were built up within a month of the pay per view, and I think they were lucky that they happened to have just the greatest roster that they've ever had, arguably, where they could just do that. Um, and also, the, because of the, the breakneck speed that they were moving in, you could do a segment in two two minutes backstage of Jericho pissing in Regal's tea or pissing them off yeah. some other way and stuff. You know what I mean? And it just it didn't need just twenty minute long segments to build something up back then. Maybe it does more now. Like I don't watch it quite as much, but they I, just I, had. I couldn't really speak on WWE like that now, but. One of the yeah. things I often complain about wrestling in general in the modern day is that the storytelling's not long form enough for me. Like I would like more build to things. It makes us care about them more. And there's no reason why they shouldn't do that. I mean, you know, it's it's a very different situation now where you know they don't have the numbers that they used to, so they should take their time to build up storylines and create intrigue. Because I mean, look, do it. Um, if Russo was in WCW in 96-97, he would have wanted Sting to wrestle long before he did. He would not have waited a year. Look at the way that Kurt Angle against Samoa Joe was handled. Mm. It's like, wow, we've got this big match. Let's do it every month. Well, that's the thing. The first one did set records. So it's like if you'd have waited another year, could you imagine? Or at least waited until the rematch for a year or something like that. But... Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, but anyway, so yeah, Benoit and the Hardy Boys, and Hardys are at their uh, uh, twink peak at this point. Like, speaking of the Hardy Twinks, speaking of the Hardy Twinks, was it Raw or was it Nitro that had the advert for ravioli? That was Raw. Yeah, that I noticed on the ravioli. Then I missed a chance there. But I'm sure the jobber that the Hardy Twinks are battering all over is Christopher Daniels. It could be. It could be. Um, I mean, they made that advert around summer 2000, um, and they used it quite a lot. Uh, so I don't know. It was it really? that, That's the first time I've ever seen it. Daniels was... Well, the thing is, they, I don't think they really showed it on TV, but we were getting heat on Channel 4 at that time, and they were showing makings of adverts, like, every single week for, like, the video games or whatever, and they showed um, the making of that advert, And but the... 
a, a picture of the advert would be in all the magazines as well, but I don't think they ever really showed the advert on UK TV because why would they? We we don't get Chef Boyardee. Get Chef Boyardee, no. It's like America no. and Canada, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Hardy Boys and Benoit uh, against uh, Christian Edge and Angle. Two minutes 20. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Christian taps out, so I was just like, boo. But he's always, <laughs> he's, he's going to be the fall guy, isn't he? Um, so he taps out to Benoit. Um just, I mean, you, that's the thing. You can't really critique these. Not that, again, that happening. So yeah, that's how much you can't critique it because it's a triple threat for two and a half minutes. I'm <laughs> sure. I'm sure it's a perfectly action-packed, great two minutes twenty. <laughs> like all the moves. Sounds like, that sounds like a Tinder bio. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't last that long, to be fair. <laughs> Um, twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, see, I mean, you can't go wrong with Benoit, Angle, Hardy's, and Edge and Christian all in the ring doing their stuff. And I mean, I think it was that's when Rhino, because uh, Rhino made his debut the week before. And talk about things going at a breakneck speed. Just incredible. Spike Dudley and Rhino within the the space of a month all debuted with very little fanfare. Um, they could have built vignettes and really built up their, you know, coming in and stuff like that. It just felt very rushed that they would run. And I didn't know, as I, I'm guessing you didn't either, and a lot of people probably didn't, about Rhino's real-life friendship with Edge and Christian. It just seemed random that this yeah. mental case would be friends with these surfer dude pretty boys. Um, <laughs> so I mean, they, I mean, there's nothing stopped because they were friends with just Joe as well. Why didn't just Joe join that group? Just Joe. Do you remember Just Joe? I clearly don't. <laughs> Not, when when did that happen? Do you remember Joe Legend? Not really. Okay, well, he was sort of, um, he wrestled in Canada and then he wrestled a lot in the UK as well on the independent scene. He was actually in uh, on the celebrity wrestling show that was on ITV. He was one of the trainers. Is that the one Screech one? No, that's an American one. That's Hulk Hogan, celebrity wrestling. Oh, the hell, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, this is why I don't remember birthdays and friends' names and stuff, because my head's just full of this fucking shite. So, yeah, no, celebrity wrestling in the UK. Oh, God, I can't remember who it was hosted by, but there was very little in the way of celebrities or wrestling. Um, <laughs> and it got bumped. It was it, Roddy, like Roddy Piper, <laughs> D'Lo Brown, and Just Joe were the free trainers. Um, and it did so little ratings... Well, yeah, I know. It did so little ratings on a Saturday night that they moved it to, like, Sunday midday after about, like, three weeks. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Um, it'll be it also, it must have been badly advertised. Like, I sound like I'm probably in the demographic, and I've never even heard of it. So, like, oh, what year was this? It, probably about, oh, oh, God, maybe O2, something like that. It was around that time. I wasn't watching wrestling at all by then, to be fair. No. So, like, aye, that's, that's probably why. Look. I stopped watching it after a week, so you know, <laughs> I gave it a shot, and I'll watch any old shite. Um, <laughs> as a product of Saturday night ITV entertainment, um, you know, I felt like this was just a step too far. Um, so yeah, no, just Joe. The gimmick was that he was a gossip. He would stand around. I know, right? He would stand around backstage, and he would hear two wrestlers talking, and they would go, "Who are you?" And he'd be like, "Joe, Joe, who?" Uh, just Joe. And he would like hear gossip and then spread it around and start feuds based on his gossip. So that was his name, Just Joe. God, I mean, it yeah. makes sense. <laughs> I 
I'll give them that. It does make sense, but it doesn't make us go, oh, I can't wait to watch that. This guy's going to tell him you said he was fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, his biggest storyline was that he uh, got the rumour out that Triple H was beating Stephanie. And, um... no, that will have been the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> no man takes a pegging for as many years as him and then beats his wife. <laughs> <laughs> this show's not going to make it onto Peacock. <laughs> um, we should put a disclaimer at the start. Peacock would get away with so much more if they just put a disclaimer at the start. But we'll do a full show on that eventually, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, no, that that was just Joe. So, um, yeah, two-minute match with you know six incredibly talented wrestlers. And then X-Pac defeated Test. Um, X-Pac uh, with Albert. Uh, just incredible for whatever reason wasn't there that night, and uh, but they would just be incredible on... in WWE. I don't yeah, know yeah. he had just made his debut and joined X Pac and Albert to be X Factor, and um, they weren't at WrestleMania. Um, they were on the pre-show against oh god, uh, Grandmaster Sexy and Steve Blackman because that sensibly put together tag team. What? No, <laughs> Steve Again, Blackman and Grandmaster Sexy. What? <laughs> who were both gone from the company within months. Um, it was Scotty had legit injured his ankle, I think, and they put Grandmaster he Sexy... He on TNA shortly after. There He's you go, on so like the first ever NWA TNA <laughs> ridiculous horror shows. He's a central part of their feuds and that. Well, Brian Christopher and Grandmas and uh, sorry Eddie were both gone within like a few weeks of each other, both drug related uh, things. Um, but the, it was like an odd couple thing. So he was trying to give Steve Blackman some personality and all that kind of thing. And it was his Al Snow already done that. Al Snow tried. That's the thing. Al Snow tried and failed. Don't you see? Ah, uh, right. For that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, um, I guess it makes sense. <laughs> So they put Eddie as the they put Eddie as the ref to screw Test because he was going after the European belt and that was that angle. Uh, oh, big short was Eddie's mullet there as well. I was wondering. It it, it was wonderful because he was wearing a mullet, but he was also wearing like proper Chava tracksuit bottoms with his referee <laughs> shirt as well. So like it was oh. basically you as a teenager, I'm guessing. <laughs> I except I wasn't Mexican, but other than that, I, I he looked like he was refereeing a match at the Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> um. Then Big Show Jericho, 242. Um, Big Show looking dominant. They did they did Big Show well. They, I thought so too, and they filmed him from lower down as well, which makes him look even more of a mammoth. Yeah. I mean, like film from below. There's too often WCW didn't maximise how huge he actually was when he was on Nitro. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. And uh, the, um, they, they had to incorporate a lot of angles in this 242. Because the, the thing is, well, it wasn't just... The matches here, there would always be an like you would, I guess, an afterbirth of just like an angle. Everything was an angle on this show, which is very exhausting when yeah. there's just no like match sort of thing. But um, you had Regal cost Jericho because Jericho cost Regal, and then you had Kane and uh, Raven come out uh, to fight with Big Show because they had a hardcore match. I did um, not recognise Raven there, you know, when he came out. <laughs> I had no idea who that was. This weird mutton chop look he had going on and that. Yeah, with the clever shorts as well, and the yeah, what the hell? He, he he just looked like some kind of terrible fancy dress flock member rather than actually <laughs> the leader of the flock. It's so weird seeing him look like that. Uh, well, main event, which again, four forty six was the the main event. Um, I did actually enjoy that four minutes and forty six seconds. <laughs> that, was, well, that, was, that was the only match I actually got anything out of watching it. Watching well, again. The, the 
You can't go wrong with Austin and The Rock. I mean, this is the with Deborah, but you won't remember this, that Vince McMahon, to mess with Austin, put Deborah managing The Rock for a couple of weeks. I know this JR says something about that, but I didn't know if I'd just got the wrong end of the stick or something, or JR had misspoken. He's like, The Rock's manager, Deborah. I was like, I'm fucking mm-hmm. Steve's wife. <laughs> like, but I, I just didn't think too much of it. Like, I didn't want to be pedantic. So that was actually intentional. That was story. That, was that was intentional. So technically, Deborah should have come to the ring with The Rock at WrestleMania, but like, that didn't happen. Um, yeah. So they defeated Undertaker and Kane in 446. And the, the thing is, as well, though, again, you've got names of that caliber. You can't go wrong as a TV main event but 446 is a disgrace <laughs> like, but the crowd was um, still so into it yeah that is the thing like but the, the raw one thing night road did right compared to raw is they knew how to do tv main events how to at least build them up even if they only had five minutes beforehand they had proper entrances with michael buffer and they treat it like it was a huge deal whereas this was just oh i've got 446 that's just the show. yeah yeah um and usually as well, like the end of the show, a lot of the times, unless it's like a cliffhanger kind of thing, is, to be honest, the least entertaining part because you kind of know it's coming to an end. So, like, in my opinion, I, like, don't take as much notice of the main event, um, which I know is not the point, you know, but if it's like, if you know there's only, like, five, ten minutes left and they're just getting all the big names out in one go, there's not much to be invested in. Yeah, yeah. I would you see what I mean? There's not much creative, creative no. thought behind that decision either. It's just like, and now we'll get the big faces out. Well, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was the biggest main event you could have just before WrestleMania, and they would kind of do that on go-home shows anyway before a big event like that. Um, but, I mean, you know, we were talking last night about the Austin and Rock interview from the week before where they sat down with Jim Ross. Oh, and, so good. Well, that's and, uh, yeah, I want you to go into it because the thing is, again, when you've got names of that level and you've only got a month to build up, you don't need to do that much. And that you know, got me to buy that pay-per-view. So that that segment did exactly what it was supposed to do. Like, I watched WrestleMania because I saw that interview. So, hmm. like, that, that you can't really say much more, but as you say, with those names and with that much talent, like, that's the ultimate example of a promo doing the job it's meant to do, because I knew nothing about the card or anything. And the, the the rock wasn't jokey. Um, it was just threat with the seriousness that it should be threat. Um, sometimes I used to get sick of the rock. You know, it was where I was a casual Raw viewer. I never really watched SmackDown, but I would casually watch Raw, and it was predominantly for Austin. The Austin was a very obvious time character, but also was a character that was definitely aimed at like my demographic. And hmm. sometimes I'd find the rock really funny, and sometimes it was like just a bit too much, like kind of jock comedy all the time so seeing yeah. him respond with the right level of intensity and seriousness to this sit down interview with austin like i think it's one of the best sit down interviews i've seen yeah tremendous and jim ross is perfect for it as well is yeah. like asking the right questions being a foil for them and all that kind of stuff and uh, knowing how to invoke the right not just reaction but like sort of the right emotion Mm-hmm. out of them from the answer that Jim Ross knows what answer he's probably going to get but it's he's almost I mean good interviewers like that anyway you know they know they want to evoke an emotion out of them or you know make something be memorable for make an interview be memorable by their reaction stuff like that and it was it was perfect and I can imagine they were given bullet points and that was it and when you have le- when you have talent of that level you can just let them roll 
Um, I was about to come to that because one of the things I noticed watching this Raw and reminded us why I stopped watching WWE by that point was how scripted a lot of the segments feel. Like especially those ones with Vince and Trish, like they dated the worst out of everything on the show. But so to see The Rock and Austin talking in a way that felt very real, like if that was scripted, they did a fantastic job of making that seem real because most of the raw was kind of hokey and like TV acting delivery of lines, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things as well that if you're backstage and there's a camera right in front of you and you're just not acknowledging the camera, you are then performing for the camera. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I stand by that, like, not acknowledging a camera backstage is one of the worst things that, I, like... I would agree. It's something WCW were doing very differently to WWE at the time as well. Because, hmm. it, it, I mean, it was stupid, but Buff Bagwell was, like, having a documentary made backstage... And so that's how you would hear a lot of the inner workings of like Ric Flair at the CEO <laughs> in his office and the stuff it makes going sense. on with Luger. But yeah, but then there was a reason why there were cameras there. The bits where you would get videos of like when Dusty Rhodes was feuding with Flair for the end of WCW where they're going to the Kiss Me Arse match. Mm. Um, the, the footage of Dusty is from like a security camera and the audio is not great because yeah. it's just like, why would there be a camera in the changing room? You know what I mean? So they did treat a lot of that as if it was still real whereas then you would have like vince and trish with just a camera sat on them filming <laughs> scenes from like a bad soap opera you know what i mean and, and, and the, this is the level of justification that kind of made me like because it's one of those things that if they did the, the will have done this during like the periods that i really love as well and i probably don't question it as much in but I still know that it's ridiculous. Like, how did they get the cough, the camera in Undertaker's coffin when he floated to heaven and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, more like, how did he fly in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> I was more concerned about the fact that the Undertaker, or as it turned out to be, Marty Jannetty was flying mm. to heaven and why he'd been like this evil undead creature who was now going to heaven. Like, there was a lot to question in that. <laughs> I, I hadn't really got to the camera in the coffin. <laughs> no, see, that's the thing. Like, that level of, like, critique in your own head is can really make you not like things and like this is why i had to just let movie matches go on the whole because <laughs> like, i was just like um you know because of them are rubbish though okay yeah i mean you know again though that's that is open to taste like but me for me it was the whole breaking like the fourth wall but not, not doing wrestling <laughs> yeah no that's fair enough um so yeah, one of my favourite things from this Raw actually, which was just hilarious and is forgotten about, before we get onto the Vince Takeover segment, actually we'll do that for the WCW show because it's a simulcast, but uh, Deborah's standing there for an interview and Michael Cole asks her like a long question and Deborah's like, I haven't got time for the to give you an answer and walks off and it's like, well you agreed to do the interview and you've just stood there. That's so stupid, isn't it? <laughs> And there's a one, I think it was Kevin Kelly, he's like, I've got one question for you, and proceeds to then make a statement instead of asking a question, and then just puts the mic in front of the person's face. That, to me, is like... It's Undertaker, I think, isn't it? Because then he's I, like, look, kids, if you get hit with a sledgehammer, you need stitches. I was like, you need more than that, Mark. <laughs> See, that's the thing, when you, when you have it be scripted, you end up like just having no one question the very basic levels of common sense. In terms of like, well, you're not asking a question here. You should be get, you know, what yeah. announcer or interview like on a football match doesn't have a question. 
You know yeah. what I mean? You don't make a statement and then just put the microphone and stuff. They're not cutting a promo in that sense. They're like answering questions. Promos are different than yeah. like a backstage interview where it's meant to be a reporter trying to get the facts and all that kind of thing. And sometimes they'll do it. They'll forget that they, you know, aren't a ridiculous, you know, contrived scripted wrestling company for a bit and actually pretend to be sports for like about five minutes and I'm just like oh yes and then the, <laughs> it's like they only do that just to like give me a bone every you know like when Edge and Randy Orton had the greatest wrestling match ever in inverted commas because that's how they I didn't see any of that no. that's how they pushed it they called it the greatest wrestling match ever like preemptively called it that and that's, that's just asking people to shit on it it is but the, at the same time as well they kind of did things that wrestling matches always used to do like checking the soles of the boots the referee or oh, like you know what I mean? and it's just like, that shouldn't be a novelty you know what i mean <laughs> that shouldn't uh, be like oh i remember when wrestling used to be that old-fashioned boring way of rules and common sense and fucking you know <laughs> i've get on a soapbox about that often recently oh, like yeah i've i've been struggling with some of the good brothers matches on aw at the minute because they just pay no attention to any of the rules. And I don't mean like they're breaking the rules. They're just like, it's a tag team, but it's always a tornado tag for them for some reason. <laughs> they're both in the ring at like <laughs> all times. No rules are adhered to. And then it'll be like, they put someone in like an illegal chokehold. The referee starts counting to five. They don't release it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like loads of stupid bullshit like that. I'm like, well, the referee should just have to throw this match out. Like there's no heat. I've got no sympathy for the baby faces. I'm just watching people pretend to fight now. This isn't wrestling anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the fighting for whose benefit? You know what I mean? Just a billionaire who is like, I'm going to pay you to. It's like bum fights. I'm going to pay you to fight for purely my entertainment and nothing <laughs> else. Because there's no one in the audience. There's barely anyone watching at home. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> so by, by 2001, though, in WCW, was the over-the-top rope still uh, rule still a thing? No, no, that was long gone. I mean, they were a really great cruiserweight company by that time. Like you had did, to they, did they shorten. acknowledge the rule change though, or was it just forgotten about? I think it was just binned when uh, when Bischoff was in charge. I don't know. You know, I saw Nitros where they were still using it. It must have been very sporadic. Just where it Kevin was very had no other idea of how to end something. Well, yeah, it was usually incorporated into some kind of angle. Um, so it was only like kind of like the band pile driver. It's not really banned. It's just so that it, you know, if the referee doesn't see it, it's a way to get heat and stuff like that. But um, which makes sense. It was I never liked it. For anyone listening at home who's not sure what rule we're talking about, in in early nineties WCW, they got this rule where you basically couldn't go off the top rope or over the top rope to the outside. And it was an automatic cause for disqualification, either you going out there or throwing somebody out. As Paul says, like it was good for getting heat and the referee not saying stuff and letting heels cheat, but it wasn't something that I enjoyed personally. Like it's, it's handicaps a match quite a bit. It can, it, it, it can, but the argument sometimes as well is that Austin and Rock drew hundreds of millions of dollars for WrestleMania and none of them came off the top rope. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, a shitload of brawl and went on outside. That that is true. <laughs> that is true. That is like true. I'm not saying you have to have a turnbuckle spot in a, in a in a wrestling match, but like if if leaving the ring is an instant disqualification, <laughs> like you can be too realistic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh god, yeah, no. Uh, just ask Dean Malenko on what was it, Super Brawl 2000 or something? 
what, what, oh, what, what happened to that? I think it was him and Kid. It, it was him and someone, but he forgot or wasn't told beforehand that the rule of this match was if you leave the ring, you are just. <laughs> so he gets, he gets, he gets taken like in a, an arm drag, and then as a heel, he rolls out he the just ring. Rolls just rolls under to... the bottom rope, and you're like, oh no. There's a lot of that then, though. Like, we, we should do a show on 2000 Russo at some point. Oh, yeah. so much insanity you can fit into that. Oh, wonderful! Well, let's um, let's go to two thousand. While we're still while we're still talking funny gimmicks in two thousand one, there was something I noticed watching this Raw about that gimmick battle royal. <laughs> so it's just like you've got the gobbledygooker, you've got Dint the Clown, and everyone had over the top gimmicks. It's like you have Michael Hayes. I was like, what is Michael Hayes a gimmick? Like Michael Hayes just is Michael Hayes. Everyone else has a cartoony character, and then it's just like, and his gimmick, Michael being himself. <laughs> I remember. I honestly remember thinking that at the time, and the fact that he wasn't strict a WWF gimmick as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's this WCCW gimmick. Yes, and the thing is, though, on because he was doing the international heats at that point, so he was on Channel 4 every single week, so he built up that gimmick Battle Royal more than the main event of WrestleMania, because <laughs> he was... <laughs> and I seriously thought that Hayes was going to win it, because, I mean, it was in Texas, and he was over... Like, him and Doink got the two biggest pops of oh, the night. Yeah, totally. um, I mean, not of the night, but in the gimmick Battle Royal. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't didn't the winner win it because they couldn't go over the top, wasn't it? Someone yeah, like she, yeah, she, she, who's too injured, so it's like just win it. He was literally too knackered, and it's funny because we're coming up to WrestleMania 37, and Bobby Heenan makes the comment: by the time the Iron Sheik gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 37. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, I, mean, uh, uh, I know we're, we're not going into Mania, but like that arguably was my highlight of the surprise of Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan coming out. That, I mean, I imagine that was bigger for you as a WWE fan as well, as I was kind of seeing them a lot and like Heenan had kind of petered out in his WCW career, hadn't he? That is true. Uh, it was, it was wonderful. Like it, it was short, the battle Royal, but like Heenan, and, they were just having such a laugh. Like with it, and they were probably a little drunk, but like, screw it, you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's not like they were actually wrestling anyone. No, that's true, and and you know they were just mocking all the wrestlers that came out. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know that the face commentator was mocking all the face wrestlers that were coming out, and it was just ah, uh, yeah, no, it it um, we'll not go into this too much, but like, it's just I think by that point because it was the first time they started acknowledging their past a bit, WWF, in that way, where they could have fun with it. And it was acknowledging in a way that a lot of these gimmicks were shite, but, like, I remember just knowing enough to, like, make the most of, like, this time of having all these names still being able to come out, because how many of them are gone now? Yeah, like just um like a gimmick battle royal now would be grim. It would be like DOA and Tiger Rally Singh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I have no idea who Tiger Rally Singh is. Oh well, there you go. We'll we'll do a show on Tiger Rally Singh at some point. But yeah, no. Um, I mean, WrestleMania 17 is wonderful. We'll probably do something on that eventually. But like, um, apart from the end, <laughs> which you know makes it not a perfect WrestleMania in my opinion. No. Um, but yes, anyway. It's so, so important. It can it can spoil your memory of the show. Just look at Revolution the other day for AEW. 
<laughs> to be yeah. honest, it's a pretty great pay-per-view, but and it was a good match for the main event, but the production's so bad on the finish that like afterwards I was like, I want a fucking refund. I was like, proper performance. <laughs> well, I mean, you say that they drove that many viewers away by buying WCW. I can guarantee they probably drove just as many viewers away by turning Austin heel. That um, definitely drove me away. It's like, all right, you've just shot on the wrestling company that I liked. At least Austin's on to, oh Christ, Austin's side was the man as well. I'm out. <laughs> Done. The thing is, though, it wasn't like he was still the same gimmick. He com- he kind of changed into this kind of paranoid corporate arsecist, and it was just like, oh, like bad. Any show where your favorite character, or on a film where they just changed the premise of that person, it just he could have still been a heel. He he still could have been a heel in that style, and it could have potentially had a bit more to it. But that's what got him over in the first place. So no one wanted... People didn't boo Austin. They booed the idea of Austin being a heel. I definitely agree with that. That was just people booing on, like, this is bullshit. That wasn't like, boo, I don't want you to be a heel. Yeah. Wasn't I mean, like, you... Hogan turning heel and people are, like, horrified. Like, you, what have you done? It was just like, nah, I reject this. This is shite. But do you remember that role, like, just before the Invasion pay-per-view where Austin's drinking in a bar because he's lost confidence in himself and then... He's in Tim White's bar, and this is when Freddie Blassie comes in and he gives the speech to the entire locker room, and Undertaker wheels him in and fucking the all in awe of Freddie Blassie, like you know, being like fucking God coming from above to like you know lay wisdom and give like encouragement and all that kind of stuff. And then fucking Austin, he has his pool cue and smashes it all over the bar, and then he runs into the arena, beats up literally everyone in the alliance, and everyone's just like fuck. Fuck. Like, Finally, like you are Austin again. Until like a week later when you joined the Alliance and it was just like, oh, mate. Who, oh, who, I'd, who? I'd, I'd already <laughs> cashed out on that invasion by then. <laughs> this is the one thing that could have just been like... That could have brought me in. Something, <laughs> yeah, something for the fans who you gained during the Attitude Era proper to bring them back. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong, Invasion did incredible numbers, and 2001 was still a good year for WWF by, you know, today's standards. Um, it's like the way 98's a good year for WCW, though. It's like there's, they've sold great tickets and people are going to shows, but then when the endings are getting shitty, people fall off. Self-sabotage, and it's like, I don't know why they've done it. Like, you know, Austin regrets it. He says, like, I'm glad I tried it, but, like... Oh, you know, he doesn't regret trying it, but I bet he does. I mean, God. He must. Right. For me, that's the worst period of his career. Like, that's just... I've seen some of the clips and, like, where he's doing... He, at one point, he's, like, being a bully and he invents that bloody what thing that was so annoying. <laughs> and then he's, like, sing, next thing you know, he's singing Jimmy Crack Corn with Kurt Angle and that. Oh, no, that was, that was funny, but that was completely <laughs> in a bubble by itself. That is hilarious, but because they were just taking the piss, but it probably killed Austin like in terms of like you know scared of the Undertaker as well while he was being a corporate stooge I'm sure that's the same segment yeah do you know how what started yeah I don't do you know how um it was on a phone call to Christian um Austin just for a laugh just starts he left a voicemail and he was just going on at length he left like about half an hour voicemail and after every sentence he was just going what and it just cracked him up and then it got to the point though when Lillian Garcia would be singing the national anthem and the crowd after every line would go, what? And Austin was like, yeah, I do not <laughs> condone that. 
No, definitely not. <laughs> That's up there with stuff like this is awesome and that for some of the most, or oh, you deserve this, and some of the most annoying things a crowd can do. But what mm. was right up there for me? Just every time someone pauses, I was like, oh, can people, especially with scripted promos, so then I am going to say this line, what? And then I am going to move on to this line. Oh my God, just speak continuously. Don't let them do it. It's so annoying. But yeah, just... they should have... I mean, that went on for years, though. I mean, God, yeah, there, there was... Long after Foley... was gone. Yeah, well, when Foley faced Orton, Foley wanted to do his go-home promo backstage where he sat in the rocking chair with his bar boy at bat because he was like, I don't want the crowd to ruin this, basically. Um, and they should have done more backstage spots at that point because, I mean, this was also the era of Triple H coming out for 20 minutes at the start of every Raw and just, I mean, if you think it was bad in 01, at least it was short in 01. <laughs> oh, God, I, I, right, I, um, all that, oh, I don't even want to go on to that evol- Evolution Triple H stuff. <laughs> like that, that is a proper channel change of that. That's true. Anyway, let's let's get on to WCW. The one thing before you start on WCW that I want to bring up because it just made me just piss myself because it was just the the randomness of bringing up this name because we talked about Bagwell before but Flair comes out and he's like you're the greatest WCW NWA names of the past the Briscoes the Funks Dusty Rhodes Ricky Steamboat yeah you Rick can't Flair. open them <laughs> yeah and then Buff Bagwell <laughs> <laughs> Buff Bagwell ever even win the world championship I mean Flair, <laughs> everybody did during the Russo time to be fair I'm surprised I didn't accidentally win the belt at home somehow when, when Russo was booking in 2000 oh, so. I think Flair's uh, like words were like ahead of him <laughs> by the time he caught it's up so emotional though it's just it's no. just after you see Vince in front of that chain link fence that both companies seem to use as a background for promos in 2001 I don't yeah. know why both of them used to do that it looked like Streets of Rage but anyway <laughs> <laughs> Vince McMahon being like, and I'll hold the, the future of WCW and the talent in my hands. And like Flair comes out and just that promo is absolutely brilliant. He is so passionate and he's so emotional. Watching that the other day made me sad that he turns up in WWE. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I've got to say for the first few months, they, they used him well and as an attraction. Like, oh, I, I was... didn't even mean how they used him. I, I haven't seen a lot of it. I just meant the fact that he went there at all. <laughs> After yeah. he's so, so passionate. <laughs> and, he, and he's like talking about how Vince's dad voted for him to be the champion and you've never bladed five times in a match and all that. Well, that's the thing. He, he breaks kayfabe during this quite a bit. But I think WCW by that point, and WWF to be fair, were breaking kayfabe on air regularly anyway. So I don't think it was like... WCW weren't really by 2001, you know. They were actually fairly simple and straightforward you kind of had to be after all the bullshit that had gone on yeah after after russo goes in the autumn they become a fairly straightforward company and there's not a lot of that goes on compared you know when you had goldberg being like i'm not gonna follow your script in 99 and well this show this show in a bubble is what i mean i think it's a far better constructed show than raw um there's a lot viewer a clash yeah Oh, no, I agree. And there's a lot more. Before I, I just let you get into it, I just want to sort of, like, from an outsider point of view, in a, you know, as someone who wasn't watching WCW at that time, um, there's a lot more dynamic to the show. It can be laid back in quiet, like the DDP interview where he talks about his history in the company and how thankful he is to the fans. Whereas WWF, it's just constant, just anger and colour and just everything just in your face, like, all yeah, the time. And absolutely. that can really 
make you desensitized to it as well as the constant violence and you know a table used to mean something but by the this time there was about 10 table bumps per match you know all that kind of thing um so anyway yeah wc this final episode of nitro well yeah the opening with that flare promo I, i think it's one of the best promos and it obviously leads to that match that he has with sting at the ending, although I'm I'm not entirely sure. The only thing that I thought slightly spoiled that match because they did do a like, it was essentially a greatest hits of WCW match having Flair against Sting. So <laughs> why Sting in a literal bat cave when he when he answers to Flair's promo? <laughs> like he's in a cave with loads of baseball bats hanging from the roof, and he like awkwardly detaches one and points it at the camera, and he's like, "It's showtime." I was like, "You definitely didn't need to do that." <laughs> a literal baseball bat cave. <laughs> Like they already have a lot of Batman-y stuff and jokery imagery. Let's not put them in a bat cave. But but yeah, anyway, that match I thought was brilliant. And the thing that really sells that match, I know I've skipped from the start to the finish, mm. but it, it kind of runs on. The thing that's so great in that match is the actual commentary. I, I already have a lot of time for Scott Hudson because he gives a very real sports feel. And him and Shivani are spectacular on this show specifically with yeah. how into the reality of it they are. I mean, it's still like, a, they're still doing a work about all the things he's saying. Like, he wasn't really mad at Regal or anything like that, but it just feels so real and it's so great. So, like, there's a moment in that match where Flair puts on the figure four leg lock, I think, and Sting reverses it and, com- and Shivani on commentary goes, we've seen it so many times and God, how we love it. It just you feel really emotional because you know it's the last WCW match ever anyway. And you've got commentary like that and like Tony bursting into tears and being like, we didn't just work for WCW. We lived WCW. Like if anything, I thought this started to make like in an almost kind of last laugh way, WCW made WWE look bad for buying them and burying them. For example, you've got like Hudson's talking about not being able to pay for his daughter going to university. You've got Shivani shitting himself on commentary about whether the mortgage is due. And they were doing stuff like that every time you got one of those bad Vince segments. And I just thought, it's not even making Vince look like a heel. It just genuinely starts to make WWE bad. (laughs) Because they're like, shit, and he's like, I hold it in the hands and everyone's going to be on the unemployment line. And then they're being like, yeah, the reality of it being unemployed. And then like you, you lose your house. And like they're just like talking in very real terms. And I thought that was a really smart, clever move. Well, that was one. I mean, Vince was the first to do this, but then also killed it because he did it for too long. But then also everyone copied off it because it was the most successful version of it. Being a heel promoter makes the company a heel. And it's like, why should we he like... He didn't start that mind, but I have to say, Bischoff did that first. Okay, no, that's fair enough. Yeah, no, that is that is true. Um, I mean, um, it, it's semantics, because you could say Vince did it in Memphis first and all that kind of stuff. Like, I guess, I guess. But, but no, I, I, I totally get what you mean. But like... That people the, saw en masse. I would say the, Bischoff joining the NWO is the first time you really had that. But the Bischoff thing, though, it made sense it more, like as a long-term thing because he started his own rebel organization within WCW, whereas WWF was run by Vince. And it then makes the organization out to be the heel that doesn't respect its fans. Yeah, that's true. Like, the Rebel organization can... Um, if anything, the Rebel organization loved its NWO fans. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, totally. <laughs> like, I've never seen anyone more appreciate Bischoff every week. He's like, I love you! Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I think people 
don't think about how the perception of the company comes across sometimes. But maybe like people just don't look that deeply into it anymore and just accept a heel, you know. Um, it's just a tired trope now. It really is. But it, it wasn't really is. when it wasn't when Vince was doing it. To, in fairness, like, and he did it very well at first. It just at went first. on way too long. Well, when you, when you don't have a, a reason for doing it, He's like because he didn't want You're Austin just being to be a knob. Yeah, yeah. Just, just being a knob. <laughs> and the thing is, though, it's usually against your most popular wrestler. So it's like, do you not want your most popular wrestler to like, do you not well? like money? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting. So yeah, no, the, no, um, so we we'll start off with the the flare promo, um, and then it leads straight. I mean, talk about like doing it with a bang. It just starts with, uh, I mean, not DDP, but um, it starts with the world title match. Yeah, it was great. The World Championship versus US title. Uh, when you know when you're talking about people who got big pops on Raw when Vince was reading names out, Scotty Steiner got a big reaction as well. Big pop, a pump got the big pop. Yeah, he he certainly lived up to the name. <laughs> Not the pumping part. I mean the, the pop part. <laughs> but um, yeah, I enjoyed that match. It seemed a a, a fitting end, and it was good to see like. By 2001, WCW were, were good at, they're too late, but sending the crowd home happy at the end. Yeah. You'd already yeah. had not a lot of that during the NWO time and then zero of it during the Russo time. <laughs> you just went home confused. But <laughs> so, so to send us home happy like that with seeing Booker T win and like as Arn Anderson would describe him, he was the all-round cowboy, he was a WCW guy from the start. Like, I thought that was a really good feel-good moment. There's a lot of good feel-good moments in that last Nitro, which is kind of strange to think when it's the last one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I think WWF, to a point, there were producers backstage, but I think they, it would have been awful for them to di- dictate what WCW was going to do that night. I think they basically left WCW to their own devices because it is very much a WCW show. Mm. Pritchard Except- and them were there, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, um, I think they because the, the, there is a picture that I hate. It's of Jimmy Hart producing the show and Pritchard stood over him, and it's just like, oh, like just you don't need to be seeing what's going on. Like, but obviously Jimmy Hart, you know, he's agreeable and he will try hard for anywhere that he works and stuff like that. So it probably they probably weren't as big a presence backstage because I think they knew not to just really rub the salt in the wounds. I mean, not that Vince... That, those fucking Vince segments did, though. Like, yeah, oh, for yeah. me, they should yeah. have left that show. You know, you've got, like, there's a lovely video package that shows you former World Heavyweight Champions, yeah. and it goes right back to the NWA days. You've got stuff like that. You've got Ric Flair versus Sting and really emotional promos. Like, leave it as a thing like that for the fans. Like, drop... You, you have the simulcast at the end, because obviously that's a that's a real moment in history. But having it, it, it broke up the flow of the show as well. It showed you really how different Nitro to Raw was. When like you would have promos and matches, and all the matches were of a reasonable length, then suddenly it would be very jarring to stop and have like a pre-taped looking soap opera scene. 
with Vince every yeah. time in between being like, don't forget this company's rubbish. Sit and watch me <laughs> masturbate. Everything's terrible and you're all stupid drunk rednecks as you were. <laughs> Just like in between virtually every match. Like, oh, and, no. the, and the thing is, though, there was literally no bad match on this night. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all great. It all it all has stakes, whether the stakes are good or bad. And you've got yeah. that fantastic um, tag triangle qualifier for the cruiserweight tag belts yeah so it was a great match with a lot of spots to pop an outdoor crowd on a beach kid, really kid romeo kid, kid romeo <laughs> there's a name that i forgot about until I, so it. I used to be a stripper, you know? <laughs> that does not shock me <laughs> but yeah i mean so there were stakes for that match and then seeing the actual cruiserweight tag championship later on in the show like i really liked that so that was story that they built within the show even the <laughs> dumbass Bam Bam Bigelow against Sean Stasiak like if Sean, <laughs> Sean Stasiak loses he has to be tattooed <laughs> so funny on the oh. on the on the Nitro the week before they'd done it where um, Bam Bam's just like you know I'm going to come into the ring and I'm going to if I win I'm going to tattoo that prissy little bitch or words to that effect and yeah. uh, Sean Stasiak's like yeah sure of course um, Stacey would do anything for me and he's like oh I'm not talking about Stacey <laughs> Like all got a bit, a bit, bit prison bummy. You know? so it was just so funny. I was, I was disappointed that Stasiak won. I really wanted to see him get tattooed in front of a bottomless drink beach crowd at spring break. Like that just God. feels like it, we missed out on an opportunity for some real redneck gladiator kind of. I <laughs> <laughs> see. I forgot that Bam Bam wrestled on the last night row as well. Like, he just seemed like someone who was probably gone just a little bit before. I mean, you unfortunately, and, and I'm not, I'm certainly not one to point out people's fucking, you know, uh, weight or whatever, but Bam Bam had put on weight by that point, and uh, even by his standards, and he kind of, he would, it did seem like he was a bit, at that point, a shadow of his former self. He wasn't doing the flippy stuff because, like, he's older and heavier, as you say, but I still thought he did the job, and, like, when he was teamed up with ddp and canyon when they were doing that jersey triad thing like oh that was I, great I enjoyed that <laughs> that's a very uh underrated forgotten about sadly uh yeah. faction of wcw um so yeah one thing i've got to say i fucking love free counter music like, <laughs> the boy band thing I sure was... did entrance as well wow with all the dancing girls and that <laughs> yeah See, I wasn't sure whether Sugar Shane, because I just assumed he probably came out with Free Counts music, but he had his own music, but it sounds dubbed over on the network version because there's no commentary there. Um, so I don't know if that was his music. I mean, it probably was, but... I, I, I can't really remember. I know he had a boy bandy song and it wasn't the three count song that they used to do the dance with Tank Abbott to and all that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I always figured he was meant to be like the Justin Timberlake one of the lot. <laughs> like Evan Courageous <laughs> wasn't going to be a big breakout star. <laughs> like he, He's actually got the dubious pleasure of being the most beaten person on Nitro. <laughs> like he lost a. Re- oh, I don't know the exact ratio, but he his his win ratio percentage was lower than anyone else's in, in like Nitro history. So that was quite fun. And bear in mind, Ev- Evan must have only came in like the year two thousand. <laughs> every week. <laughs> oh, poor I'm sure he lost um, like fifty two out of eighty matches or something absolutely ridiculous like that. <laughs> well, I mean, if you just look at them as well, you can tell that like Shannon Moore and Shane Helms were. Your poster boys, you know what I mean? Totally. Maybe I'm just speaking to someone that would like, you know, fancy all three of them. <laughs> fancy all three of them. Yeah. Um, Shannon Moore was definitely one of the hottest women in WCW at that time. 
<laughs> I even had a lass's name. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen him now, though? I've not. Last time I saw him, he was like a big spiky mohawk punk in TNA. Uh, he ain't pretty no more. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's very... Sorry, go on. No, because he's very much enjoying like his piercings and tattoo lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. He, you know, he definitely was in TNA already. <laughs> yeah, what they called Ink Ink. Yes, they were very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say that. Like, imagine being on commentary and like Ink Ink into the ring. You're like, no, no. Nah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so um, yeah. But you were saying about the dubbed over music that reminded us. There's a few music things I noticed over these two shows. Firstly, was I had forgot Chavo's music at the time, so when it started <laughs> with that really cool like Santana style, I was like, oh man, this sounds like it should be on like Walker Texas Ranger or something. This is class. Then the farty trumpet stuck on. I was like, oh no. Like, really, you could have recorded a new song rather than just adding this bit of lead play onto that song. So, yeah, I mean, of all the songs that could be overdubbed, that would be one. But I can't believe, after how many shows are ruined on the network when you try and watch them, and everything's <laughs> overdubbed, like you try and watch that old Royal Rumble with the bloody pose down with Rick Rude, and you've yeah. got that awful, awful blaring music overdubbed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Really bad. All the music that gets overdubbed, how on earth did that Raw manage to have Roland by Limp, uh, <laughs> Limp Biscuit on? It had like My Way by Limp Biscuit. There was some other god awful song. I was like, no, no, don't pay for the right. I oh, was it disturbed doing Stone Cold's music. I was like, overdub this music. This music's terrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're already the era of wrestling that kind of put me off for a while. But now, this is reminding us what put me off metal as well. You know what, as well, though? Like, I loved the American Badass theme, uh, the Kid Rock theme. And when they, yeah. when they changed it to Roland, I just don't think it was nearly as good. But they, they dub over American Badass. And they, um, I think they put Roland. If not, they put the, you know, the Dead Man Walking yeah. song that he had much later yeah. on. I think they do one of them over it instead. And it's just like, oh, it takes all the energy away from it. Like, American Badass as a theme was tremendous. Now, I remember... Because it was uh, one of the rare times that you could buy a wrestler's theme music on single, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, from a yeah. shop. So, like, I was really excited about buying it at the time. Um, yeah, played at school discos, and then they were like, wait, what are the words? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, arguably, My Way may be one of the better band-used songs for a pay-per-view. Um, it's a sad state of affairs when the Limp Bizkit song is one of the best, best used themes that they've done. Oh, I, I see, I... I think it was great. I don't get us wrong. I don't know many other songs that they did other than that, but I think that just, in terms of like encapsulating the time and just capturing WrestleMania 17, I thought it was it was tremendous to the point where when they tried it with other bands of that ilk on on subsequent WrestleManias, it just seemed like they were trying to be WrestleMania 17 again um, mm. and not quite capturing it when they brought in Saliva and Disturbed and all them and... Um, Creed and all them kind of bands, and I was just like, nah, like not, not for me. Not for me, no. <laughs> um, not. So anyway, yes, the the uh, the night rose. So yeah, the the number one contenders match, which would lead to Sugar Shane. Uh, no, sorry, it would lead to the the. It led to the other two. Cruiser tag title match. But um, I mean, the, the the it was Kid Romeo and Elix Skipper were the champions, wasn't it? And it was won by the Filthy Animals, who were another 
much forgotten stable and team that was absolutely great. I loved the Filthy Animals. Yeah, Ray looked really cool at that time. They, did, they didn't call them Ray Mysterio either. They just called them Ray Junior. Yeah, they did. But it gave it a bit more of a then contemporary feel, though, didn't it? They were kind of slightly like Hispanic hip hop kind of vibe, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And did you, and I think I might have told you this. Ray and Kidman actually own those belts to this day. I mean, it's probably hard to sell them. <laughs> the cruiserweight top belts have got to be some of the ugliest belts WCW ever made. <laughs> um, it's a shame that they, I mean, I guess you couldn't really bring them to WWF because they barely had any room for single cruiserweights at that point. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, so, sorry, uh, lead us through this night, bro. I mean, I wasn't so much going to talk about all of the various matches themselves. Like, as you say, it's it's almost difficult to critique because every match is given quite a bit of time and every match is good on that show. Like I don't actually think there's any bad matches on it. One of the things I noticed the most is the crowd. Like those spring break nitros are a staple of my childhood anyway. But <laughs> yeah. like seeing just like those are my people where there's like shit faced Guy Fieri looking spiky hair beach blonde lads and like all these hot redneck chicks and Because when you bought your ticket to that nitro, you also got refillable drinks. So oh. it was just like bottomless, <laughs> yeah, on the beach. Why wasn't Gene there for that? <laughs> was, was Gene already gone by that point? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I love that. There's there's so much stuff like that made us nostalgic. Like, you know, you see this Slim Jim advert with Randy Savage, and it's it feels weird that they're going to be off the air afterwards. You, everyone looks like they're having loads of fun. There's the segments with Ricky Rackman off VH1 and Canyon kissing girls on the beach, which can't have been that much fun for Canyon. <laughs> With the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> but everybody else seemed like they were having fun. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing. If you watch the show in a bubble, again, without looking at the, the fact that it was the last night or any of those references, WCW looked like it was still going pretty well. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously the money loss or whatever, but it still looked like it was a fun product to watch. Um, it get, maybe gained back some of the fun that, or you know, the wrestling side of it that it lost in 2000 or whatever. But it wasn't like they were defeatist or anything like that. They were still having spring break parties and still making angles and still with an eye to the future in terms of the stars that they were making on that show. Like Booger winning the belt and, um, you know, the Filthy Animals and Sugar Shane, etc. Yeah, totally. The, the, it felt like a company that still had legs. I, I wish Bischoff had managed to buy them when he was doing that Fusion Media thing. Like, If you watch the Nitro from before it, it's there's like this kind of uncomfortable, awkward call that's played over the tannoy of Bischoff on the phone talking right. about what they're going to do. And like he invites all former WCW or NWA champions to show up at this. And he's like, every belt will be defended and it's a season finale and we're going to have a shutdown and we'll see what we can do next. And he's all very like unsure at that point. This this must be just after, you know, when they'd announced it on Wall Street and what have you, and then Turner were like, actually, you're not having a TV spot or the video library. So it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't do much about that. Like, um, I mean, Hogan, Hogan even said that if he'd have known he could have bought the library for $2 million, he would have just done that and released DVDs for the rest of the time. Yeah, totally. It's it's so annoying. Of all the people who had to buy it as well. We might, we might as well talk about that. Like, those constant McMahon segments where he's just sexually harassing Trish all the time and everybody's reading bad dialogue and aggressively eating strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> also, he, like 
when he talks about Trish Stratus's titties, that should be the easiest subject to discuss. Like Trish Stratus was absolutely glorious, but he's like those voluptuous, succulent, tender breasts. I'm like Vince, man, you meant to want to shag her. The, the, you sound like you're going to put gravy on her. She's not a roast dinner. <laughs> like, the last thing I thought about looking at Trish Stratus was how succulent and tender a breast you might have. But Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I think it was already a. a... A byproduct of moving to TNN, who were already censoring a lot of WWF stuff and calming them down a little bit, and um, you know, I don't, th- I, I don't think Vince would have, you know, still even in '98 would have said, you know, I want to fuck you and you've got lovely tits and stuff like that. But <laughs> well, um, I think he'd use that exact phrase and like, <laughs> <laughs> hey Trish, you got lovely tits, come here. Um, Border port. <laughs> <laughs> They're like Euro trash where they talk to all the European people, but they put a Yorkshire accent over all of them. <laughs> yeah. Like literally translating what they've said, but like just with a Scouse accent or Yorkshire accent. Brilliant. Um, that's one for the kids. Uh, Euro trash. Um, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It just, it. I don't know who they felt it that was meant to appeal to. It's kind of like this kind of. It's like comedy, but not funny and appealing to no one except Vince. It was just um, masturbation. Yeah. It's the same with that massive, you know, when he comes out to do the promo and he's like, announce me again. And then he comes out and he just like berates the audience for 15 minutes. And he's like, and who would put wrestling in a beer joint when they've just been to Times Square on Raw as well. And been in a <laughs> beer joint. It's just like generally the, the two shows are hurt quite badly by how much Vince McMahon is on them. Like, also, like, it's neither crowd reacts to it. Like, you know, when they go to do the simulcast, until yeah. he starts, like, shouting out the names of who do you want to see from WCW, that crowd are just dead silent. They just don't care. Like, the Nitro crowd are quiet as well, except then Shane comes out and they all pop big and they're interested and they're actually still involved. Whereas the audience at Raw just seem to completely switch off at that. Well, the thing is as well, though, I don't think there were WWF fans who wanted WCW to go out of business. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're a fan. That that kind of concept's quite modern. You know, yeah. like some of the ridiculous Twitter arguments you get with AEW and WWE. Like, I watched WWF casually, and I was a WCW fan. Like, it, it wasn't like supporting a football team. Like, WCW <laughs> was my primary thing because they produced the style that I enjoyed the most. Yeah. But like, I, I, like I didn't want Raw to, uh, WWF to go out of business. Like it's just, it's just stupid. Like well, maybe I would now just because of how they've acted afterwards. <laughs> it would just be like, ha! But it's still like people losing their jobs and that. Like it, no, it's not yeah. good. Why, why would a crowd won't be really happy that everyone's about to be unemployed and there was less wrestling to watch? Woo! Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> well, that segment, I mean, uh, you know, because I try to look at this slightly logically, because the Vince bit goes on for 15 minutes. The Shane bit that everyone remembers goes on for two minutes and creates the biggest impact of the entire show. Um, my thinking is they they just timed the simulcast terribly because Vince is just and- rambling. Mm. Vince, it's the last segment on Night Road, but it's only halfway through the Raw. So yeah. they really are just... Either matches were short or whatever on Night Row, and they just didn't time it properly. But Vince just starts rambling, and when he has nothing to talk about, he just resorts to insulting the audience. <laughs> oh no! It's like it's like a defense mechanism, but it's just not a good one. It's a, it doesn't even make you seem like a heel. It just makes the audience feel stupid. 
It's like the whole the whole time when he was just banging on about like stupid red drunk redneck uh, fans. There's even some cheer like that at Raw. It's yeah. like, yeah, mate, know your audience. You always want to be more than wrestling and bigger. And even even in that 2001 Raw, he's referring to them or in the Nitro as like a sports entertainment um, conglomerate of something. And like uh, Shivani on, on the commentary is like, uh, this is our mm-hmm. wrestling. Because he's just like, will these rednecks be able to get their brand of sports entertainment? And it's like they're having to correct him being like, it's wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> like even back then, people were sick of that shit. Oh, it really bad, and and I didn't realize how the night row ended as well because I I forgot that the the simulcast bit was the last bit on night row. I thought that that was like halfway through as well. Um, but after the Flair Sting match and the emotional farewell, it cuts to this awful fifteen minutes of Vince, and you don't hear anything from Shivani or anything at they that got point. Switched off. Oh, uh, Shivani said you. Craig Leathers appeared in his ear and was just like, that's it, we're done. Oh. That's at the end of it. The- because they cut away from Flair and Sting, cuddling, it's all emotional and that. And Shivani's like sobbing on the commentary and like you're getting this great moment. And then it just cuts to Vince McMahon talking absolute shit for ages. And it's yeah. just like, you, you really like, just leave it as it is. <laughs> make it a memorable moment. And then still do that simulcast at the end, but like not with the 15 minute McMahonologue. You know what I mean? Like, just get to the bit where you're talking about it and Shane comes out. There was oh. a great sign, though, during that yeah. bit where, with Vince. There's a sign that says something like, don't worry, Shane, my dad's ashamed of me, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, though, it didn't have to necessarily be a simulcast. Have Shane come out at the start of Night Road, then you've got an angle between both shows. You know what I mean? And then you've got a reason to tune back and forth and stuff like that, instead of just ending it on this simulcast as if it was like some big technological feat. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, yeah, well, no. With those segments as well. Yeah. Vince is like he's watching Nitro, but all of the clips are from like greed and sin. <laughs> you know, when he's randomly burying people and he's like, Rah, look at this idiot, road warrior animal, what a moron kind of stuff. And I'm like, he wasn't there. Like, like you're showing all this footage, like it's being shot on a beach. It's outdoors. Like, how do you expect us to think you're watching Nitro on this telly when it's quite clearly footage from in an arena at a pay-per-view? Like, he just, wa- he just wanted to have shots of Jarrett and Animal by the sounds of it. And he, like, it's Vince founded TNA that night by the way, <laughs> he sacked Jarrett. You know, and he's like, apart from being like, he's G double O double N double E. I was like, he's Goon Like, what, what does that even say? Like, you're calling us stupid and then that's it. You're trying to say gone like that. Like, no, nah. <laughs> Jarrett's not on this show. Here's footage of Jarrett in, indoors from a month ago. Like, uh, uh, that as well rubs me wrong. Like, I know you'll want to sack him because of when he, like... The, well, no, he didn't even hold him up. He just wanted money he was owed. Yeah, he just, he's, uh, and I firmly believe How dare you? he's just like, How dare you a lot of money you haven't told us and leaving the company tomorrow. Can you give us it now, please? <laughs> but do yeah, you know, do you, know you, lend someone, like you lend someone something and then you get offended when you ask for it back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like oh. that. Like, I, I didn't like them sacking him publicly. Pritchard said that uh, Jarrett was standing watching the monitor at that point and he just went, ha! And then left. Oh. <laughs> I guarantee that Jarrett would have had TNA in mind for years, like a, a, a company. Will have done since Jerry was trying to buy WCW. 
Yeah. Oh well, there you go. Um, it, it you know it doesn't it doesn't shock me. I mean, luckily, if anyone didn't need to be need the job, it was Jared. You know. Um, and, That's probably why he's just laughing at it, like, ah, stupid old bastard. <laughs> like, I mean, imagine, imagine if Vincent had come on and says, Bobby Eaton, <laughs> you are fired. It's like, that would have made everyone in wrestling hate Vince McMahon more than like, they already did. <laughs> Firing the nicest, most hardworking, longest tenured employee of WCW. on Anderson, wouldn't I mean, to be fair, I'm surprised Vince didn't have a segment where he actually pooed on Anderson. Like, that was the oh, level of respect they were treating the intellectual property with. You say that, but having Arn Anderson and Scott Hudson do the commentary for the Booker T. Buff Bagwell match was shitting on Arn Anderson enough, I think. It's weird as well. I'd never heard Arn commentate ever. So it's like, why did they do that? Just get oh, Tony, for God's sake. He's yeah. the voice of WCW. Or have... You know, having Arn Anderson come into your company legit makes him automatically one of your best talkers in the entire company. <laughs> have him be, have him cut a promo or anything to sell WCW instead of just randomly put. Oh God! Are you gonna Ooh. be a color commentator, dear God. <laughs> just so dumb. The most dry person in the world as well, like on color <laughs> to try and make jokes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those jokes you'd kind of laugh at nervously because you think he might stab you. <laughs> well, it's kind of like having Bernard Manning show up on like a breakfast TV show, isn't it? You're just like, ooh, like putting a live mic in front of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good lord. Anyway, right. So I think we've basically covered everything there. What, what I would recommend people to do if you're if you're mushy and sentimental as I am. Uh there's obviously the temptation as a WCW fan to just turn it off during the simulcast. Fast forward right till the end. There's like a little card appears that, and the original Nitro music plays. And yeah. there's like a thank you to the fans and goodbye to Satellite TV for WCW. And it's really quite nice. Yeah, and you mentioned to me something quite nice that Jim Ross mentioned that he was the last voice to be heard on a WCW program. He was, because just after the simulcast, the promo for the main event on Raw pops up where it's got Taker and Kane against Rock and Austin, and so he was the last voice of wrestling on TNT. And then when Dynamite started, Jim Ross was the first voice heard of wrestling on TNT when it came back. Like See, 20. that's... Yeah. That's pretty great, that. And regardless of, like, you know, personal tastes and where Dynamite has went and that, you know, might not everything will appeal to anyone, still glad it's, it exists. it's so important that it's there. It really is. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, it's made... I think it's brought in lapsed fans and people who just want not just an alternative, but something on TNT commentated by Tony Schiavone. Like you can't underestimate how important that is to a lot of people our age. It, it um, definitely is to me because that's the sound of childhood. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing, and you know, even if you have someone with a shit ton of money who might not know what he's doing, the fact that he's our age and is willing to just, you know steep himself in nostalgia and try and just get it right yeah it, it, well, it is important i criticize him a lot but he, he is he, he is doing a good thing <laughs> um and i think there's i think it's it, it's only been two years you know what i mean as well like you know and you, there's a lot of scope to make a lot of mistakes in two years now 
because you can grow so quickly. I mean, he made an argument with me. He was a huge TNA fan. Um, he was like, oh, TNA did more in their first seven years than WWF did. And I'm like, WWF started in like the 50s. <laughs> I am. I had no I'm a TNA fan, but I don't know if I'd pick that hill to die on. Like, <laughs> well, I started making the argument. I was like, well, they started in like the fifties, if not before then. And okay, there were no merchandise, not much TV outside the area, but they were still selling out Madison Square Garden, twenty thousand seaters every month. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> That's what I said about that modern fan thing, where they'd want to turn it like like you're a football fan. Yeah, <laughs> it's like company against company warfare, like. Ah, the only people that lose out then really is the audience. Like, just don't bother. If you don't like it, don't watch it. So I'm like with WWE now. I don't go out of my way to bash it every day. I just don't watch it. That's true enough. In my opinion, I think worked shoots um, or shoots on TV are entertaining themselves, but can then make everything else seem boring in comparison because you know that that's not real, but what they're talking about is real. But then, if you start making everything real like that, that will become old very quickly. It's boring, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fine line to draw. It really is. Um, but yeah, I'm personally, you know, especially since my favourite wrestler, Christian, is there now. Um, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm very glad that AEW exists. And, you know, that I think generally... One thing that, you know, makes us friends as well is that, you know, we do have slightly different tastes, but we are willing to, I mean, we take the piss, but like also it's not in a malice way or anything like that. And we're not Just judging. Fun. Yeah, yeah, we're not judging the wrestling fan for liking a certain thing. You know what I mean? Because like, God, like. That's what one... pisses me off the most with the modern stuff. And, you know, when people used to be like all lol TNA. It's like, yeah, well, yeah but you, prob- you probably haven't even seen the thing that you're slagging off. You've just yeah. read somebody else slagging it off online. So now you're slagging off the people who watched it. Like, just give up, man. <laughs> like, what's the point? Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So hopefully, you know, we'll be covering such a wide range of things. I mean, God, we're going to, I mean, we're not purposely going to try and find things just because no one else has done them. But we have such weird tastes that we will watch we will talk about a lot of different things, things that you will never have even thought about uh, that would have shown, like, should be on a podcast and stuff like that. And we're not just going to rely on the fact that it's on the network. We have no, tapes of all kinds of shite. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, um, uh, my dad came back from um, visiting his sister in Skegness or something, and he was like, "Oh, I went to a market and bought you a tape, a uh, wrestling tape." And I was like, "Oh, brilliant!" Brought it in, and I was just like. I could already tell that this was not any kind of wrestling that I've ever seen before. So we'll put it on. <laughs> and it was literally just men in thongs on plinths, like posing, like like WBF basically. <laughs> and then women in the ring posing as well. And I was just like, then we turned it off. But I still have that tape and we will watch that tape probably, <laughs> oh, no. probably stoned. Um, and we will bring it all to you, the loyal listeners of Baby <laughs> So, yeah, no, seriously, though, like, um, I want to thank you, Alex, for, like, you know, because we tried this a while back and, um, you know, it's nice that we can do this again. On a on a really cool platform as well, and uh, there's no restrictions on what we can talk about. <laughs> I'm not very good with restrictions. No, um, and yeah, no, I, I think that you know the freedom of podcasts and stuff like that. You know, you can kind of talk about what you want, and um, it's it's a lot of fun. And you know, back then I wanted to get into radio, but I was like, no one would listen to me talk about wrestling at length. 
And time will still tell on that. But like at the time, even radio stations wouldn't want anyone talking about wrestling at length. So podcasts are wonderful for that. Um, I talk about podcasts as if they've just been invented. Like, you know, that they haven't been around for 15 years or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, Alex, um, yeah, thank you again. And is there any, any advice you would like to give to the listeners? Uh, watch out for the kid in the front row at Nitro who is dressed as the Grim Reaper with a sign that says McManus Satan. Because <laughs> that, that tickled me the other day. All the kids who are dressed up as LA Park for some reason. <laughs> I don't know if it might be LA Park's kids, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be La Parquita. The, the, uh, oh, the, the midget one. I was the, just thinking like El Hijo de LA Park and LA Park <laughs> Jr. <like. laughs> oh, so on that high note, um, you can't go anywhere after La Parker. So, um, yeah, thank you again, and we will see you all next week. Yep, see you next week.